This is Salt City Hoops on ESPN 700. Your best insight into Utah Jazz basketball and the NBA in Utah. For the next two hours, it's nothing but NBA conversation from the local front to around the association. Now let's get things rolling with Salt City Hoops on Utah's number one sports talk, ESPN 700. Welcome, everyone, into the Salt City Hoops show. My name is Andy Larson. I'm the managing editor of Salt City Hoops. Ben Dowsett over here, associate editor of Salt City Hoops, is here with me, as always, every week, talking about the Utah Jazz and the NBA. The Utah Jazz are good. I mean, I've said this for the last three weeks, but now they've won four in a row since our last show, since six in a row total, and 11 out of their last 13. I mean, the the Jazz are good. And they should have won both of those games. That right. They lost. They blew <laughs> the two losses leads. are against, are, yeah, fourth quarter leads that they blew to the Los Angeles Lakers and the Boston Celtics. Now, the, the Celtics are actually better than I think a lot of people give them they credit are. for. Yeah. But the Lakers, we make fun of every week, and there's a reason for that. Yeah, and we will do so again later on this show, and it's going to be a lot of fun. Yeah, no, <laughs> it, as as it always is. Um, so anyway, thanks for all to all of you for joining us. As always, this is a social show, so please reach out to us with any of your comments, tweets, questions, emails, whatever. Uh, you can tweet me at Andy B. Larson. That's Larson with an E-N, in case you are curious. And Ben Dowsett over here is Ben underscore Dowsett, spelled D-O-W-S-E-T-T. Uh, so there's a fire. You douse yeah, it. but don't spell it like don't, that. Don't spell it like that, though. But if you wanted to pronounce it, heck, if you want to call us and then pronounce Ben's last name, <laughs> there you, you go. can call us at 877-353-0700. How about that for a transition? That was good. That was really Thank good you. stuff, yeah. Uh, we've got an exciting show today, too, because there, obviously the Jazz are very good, so we're going to be talking about that, why they're so good, how awesome it is that they're so good, what they can continue to do um, as they maybe even fight for a playoff spot. We're going to look at that issue a little bit. Uh, and then we've got some awesome guests. So we've got one, Spencer Hall, the founder of Salt City Hoops on the show today, uh, current news director at KSL.com. So he's going to be joining us talking about the, the enthusiasm around the team, as well as this Greg Miller owner situation that uh, went down yesterday, kind of talking about what, what changes that has on the Jazz and, and the rest of the Larry H. Miller organization. And then our 8 o'clock guest, our big guest today, is Alex Kennedy of Basketball Insiders. Uh, he's... I don't know, famous, infamous for breaking news and, and tweeting things from, from around the league. He has just a an absurd an, number of Twitter followers. Yes. It's completely absurd. We're having it's interesting. We're having two people that are basically my bosses on today for the show. Uh, Spencer at K well, Spencer twice. Spencer's pretty much my boss twice, like Salt City Hoops and at KSL, and then Alex is the pretty much the person who edits me for basketball insiders, so I've got to watch what I say, apparently, I think. Yeah, no, you do. <laughs> you should always watch out though it's what true. you say. It's true. Sometimes we have to have conversations about that. that every once in a while. Less and less frequently lately. It's, no, it's, um, I, if anyone's awful at, th- at saying the wrong thing, it's me. Uh. Anyway, let's get into the Jazz. Uh, because there's so much good to talk about with this team. Like, uh, First of all, let's look at the starting lineup a little bit. Because since the starting lineup has been in, and it's only been, is it, is it three or four games they've, now? They, I think it's three that they've started. And they've, for the year total, they've got about 60 minutes played, which is okay. not... A ton. So it's but. not a lot, but the early returns are huge, and and like conceptually, this lineup works really, really well. Yeah. So it, the starting lineup, by the way, for all of you who don't know, is is Dante Exum, Rodney Hood, Gordon Hayward, Derek Favors, and Rudy Gobert. Uh, and that lineup, just to throw some stats of you, is twenty four points better than uh 
better than average over 100 possessions. Than, so their, oppo- than their opponents. Actually. Sorry, than their opponents. Excuse yeah. me. Uh, th- so just breaking that down there, 110 points per 100 possessions on offense, 86 points per 100 possessions on defense. So they're you know winning a, a lot when they're out on the floor. And, and again, it's a small sample, but it's it's growing. And, and we've seen in the last last night's game when the Jazz just used that lineup to blow out the Charlotte Bobcats, yeah. Hornets, Charlotte Hornets, sorry. And it's no, it's easy to make the, the confusion. Now, for reference, those numbers, that 110 and the 86 that Andy just cited, both of those over a full season would be the best marks in the league for any team. The league's best offense this year, I think, is at 109-something, and the league's best defense is at 97-point-something. So they'd be over 10 points better defensively than the league's best defense. Now, of course, that those are for full teams and their full lineups and not just their best lineups, which this might be right. this might be the Jazz's best lineup right now. But I think you're right. Conceptually, it just it really does seem to work, especially if the shooting we're seeing from Dante Exum and Rodney Hood is for real, which, the, again, the sample is growing here and is starting to look more like it is real. And I wrote a piece today about both Hood and Exum. Go read it if you haven't. The Both of them are, are really exciting. And specifically, though, when you look at it defensively, the reason why this lineup is so awesome is because there's nobody out there under 6'7". Right. Dante Exum is probably the shortest player in that lineup, right? It's, it's close yeah. between him and Hood, I guess. For no, his... that, yeah. I mean, Exum's only 6'6". Yeah. Um, or at least listed at 6'6". So okay. you've, But still, for a point guard, that's ginormous. Yeah, and he has a super long wingspan, and he's really long, as we know, and super ridiculously fast for his size. Hood has really, is, moves really smoothly. He's long for the position. He doesn't have the longest arms, but he, he's really good about his positioning and his footwork Hayward is uh, about normal size for the position that he plays I think you would yeah. say and then of course Gobert and Favors on the back line who just crush everything in sight both at this point are nearing Gobert's number one of course but Favors is also nearing the top five for rim protection by sport view numbers which is kind of remarkable when you think about it the Jazz have two of the top five rim protectors in the <laughs> nearly yeah I mean just looking at last night's game again as as an example the Jazz allowed only four baskets from the restricted area, so layups or dunks. I mean, for an entire game, that's an incredible number. Zero of those came with Rudy Gobert defending the shot, so again, yeah. an incredible number. Uh, they just shut Charlotte down for the first three quarters of that game. It was 81-37 at one point. 81-37, and at, so that was at the three-and-a-half-minute mark, and I did the math today. If that pace had continued for the whole game, the Jazz would have won 120 to 55. Wow. They would have won by 65 points. Yeah, and now, you could argue that the only reason they didn't is because it got to garbage time super early and they brought <laughs> in the Jack Hooleys and Bryce Cottons of the world. Right, because when you're up 44, you don't need to worry about injuring your best players, right? Mm-hmm. That's You, you kind of do want to run up the score so you can have the first 65-point victory in NBA history, <laughs> but you, you don't need it. Yeah. Yeah, no, and it's been really excellent. And and one thing that I think is a big part of it is Rodney Hood specifically because, and this is something that Quinn Snyder's told us uh, uh, several times, is that you have to remember that it's that it's even younger in the season for him than your typical rookie. He's only played under forty games on the mm-hmm. season because of his injury. To see him playing with the level of confidence that he is, he's shooting over 50% from three since he's come back, which the sample still needs to grow there. But I mean, still. Uh, that they've put him in that sort of point forward role sometimes when he's on the floor. The game that Hayward missed last week against the Knicks, he played down the stretch. He essentially played Hayward's role where despite Exum or Burke being on the floor, he was bringing the ball up. He was initiating the offense. It's been really great, and he can play defensively, which, of course, is the first thing Quinn goes back to anytime we ask him a question about any of these younger guys is the fact that they're defending at a really high level. 
Right, which I, I, I got to be honest, I got to do a mea culpa, and I, and I think I'll actually do a longer piece about this on Salt City Hoops. Like, I, I did not think Rodney Hood would be this good ever. Quite Like, I would have, if someone would have asked me at the beginning of the season, will Rodney Hood ever score 24 points in an NBA game? I think I would have said no. Wow. And that's like over the course of his career. He has done more offensively than I thought he was capable of. And, and then defensively, you're right, he's been a revelation. I mean, Coach K, remember, at against Mercer last year in the NCAA tournament, took Rodney Hood and Jabari Parker out so they would play better defense. Yeah. And now Rodney Hood at the NBA level where, you know, obviously the athletes are a lot better than Mercer's athletes. Yeah, yeah. All of a sudden he's staying in front of guys. He has one of the best keep in front percentages in the league. He, he's being a legitimate game changer on the defensive end. And uh, I, I just never, ever, ever saw that coming. Well, Rodney is proving you wrong, and we're happy to see it, obviously. He's... The thing for me is that he's – I don't think he's quite reached the level, obviously, of, a, of an elite or even necessarily above-average wing defender, especially because we don't have enough data points yet to necessarily okay. make that conclusion. But the fact that he's able to stay on the floor with these lineups – and the length is a huge deal in terms of switching. This is something that we talk about a lot. It's one of my things that I'm really into. I think this is kind of the future of the league defensively for, for the best defensive teams is the – I mean, you see it this year. The top two teams are Golden State and Milwaukee defensively on the year, they switch absolutely everything with the starting lineups that they play. They switch one through four, meaning effectively, in a lot of cases, they're neutralizing your pick and roll. And the pick and roll is the most effective form of offense that almost every team has in the league right now. And the fact that the Jazz can do it, and Quinn has been really upfront about how much favors makes this possible, the fact that he's able to guard guys on the perimeter, which he has been able to do, makes it possible to do that. It's huge, and I think going forward, this is a potential blueprint for the Jazz here, especially knowing that Exum is probably your point guard of the future, and it looks like Rodney is going to have a place in the future as well. You've got so much length at those guard positions that that's absolutely the strategy to use. You can neutralize teams running those sort of pick actions right away and force them to beat you somewhere else. And where else are they going to beat you when Gobert is on the floor? What are they going to do? They're going to go in the post? Right. That's probably not going to work out too well. Like it's, I think they've got a blueprint for something seriously good here. The question I have is, do you think this could be the starting lineup for a legitimate playoff contender next year? Assuming, of course, that the Jazz do the right things with the rest of their supporting Do you mean contender for a playoff spot or like contender for Western Conference championship status you know like nba finals contender let's go in the middle like i don't think they're gonna be i don't think they're gonna actually be a legitimate contender to win the conference next year but a a a team that is in the playoff picture for much of the year yeah 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 of course why not i mean you we we tweeted the stats we mentioned the stats earlier on the show this this lineup's been incredible and it's it's not been against the worst opponents in the nba there's nothing about this that I mean, it's not going to stay this this good because, again, the Jazz were on pace to beat Charlotte last night by 65 points. That doesn't ever happen. But in terms of a contending lineup, absolutely. Yeah, I would probably have to agree. And to transition a little bit, they're doing this while the guy who was their first-round pick last year and who entered the season as their starting point guard is really having a rough time of it uh, again. And he's had a couple of these stretches this year. He seemed to be—this is Trey Burke, by the way, that we're talking about. He seemed to start off well enough after this after he was moved to the bench. Like, it seemed like he was playing pretty well with those, first, with those second units, excuse me. But recently, unfortunately, the numbers have just kind of not supported that at all. He's shooting barely over 26% from the field Oof. in his last eight games, including last night where he was, I believe, 3-for-12, if I'm not mistaken— 
35, nearly 36% from the field since he moved to the bench, which was back on January 22nd, 33% from three in that time. Unfortunately, those numbers really kind of aren't getting it done. <laughs> no, they're not. Now, but, those are those are terrible numbers. Yeah, let's let's put really that bad. out. Like that's that's not even just getting it done. That's actively hurting your team when you're shooting twenty five percent. Yeah, and and it's weird. Like as the Jazz have played really well, Trey Burke has not. You know, it's not like it, he he just like consistently looks like he doesn't fit with this Jazz team right now, right? Like I mean, if you're talking about a defensive lineup that's everyone is six six and above, you can do all the switching stuff, and you've got the length, and you've you know maybe forcing some turnovers or blocks or whatever you are. Trey Burke is not part of any of that, right? Trey no. Burke is a six-foot dude who, you know, at best case is going to maybe be a little bit quick, but he's not getting he's not getting you any steals like a you know smaller Chris Paul will do. Yeah. Um. So yeah, I mean, at best he's a defensive average guy, right? At, and then, at very best. At very best. And then offensively, he's shooting, yeah, twenty six percent. I mean, it's that's untenable. You you bring a guy up from the D league like a Bryce Cotton, and he'll shoot better than twenty six percent. Now, is he shooting that on the season? No, but he's shooting thirty six percent, which is not a whole lot better. The problem with Trey is that even in his best games, he's still shooting fifty percent from the floor, and in his worst games, he's shooting twenty percent from the floor. You know, even last night, three for fourteen against what was a pretty open defense. I think the rest of the Jazz Very, showed, yeah. and, and so. Uh, you just wonder where he fits long term, and you know uh, you can see him being a backup point guard. I think I think he would be a perfectly fine backup point guard for the future for the mm-hmm. Jazz if he's willing to take that role on. And and you know it's it is his only second year. You do see some development from point guards late in their careers, but right now I don't see any way how Trey Burke's game, even if it gets better fits in with what this Jazz roster is trying to do. It's it's unfortunate and it really is unfortunate because he this is a guy that works hard. There's no question about it. He's a he's a he's really thoughtful when we talk to him. Yeah. He's a, he's, a, he's one of my favorite guys to talk to honestly in the entire locker room and you know that this stuff is in his head and that he doesn't want to be doing this, of course. I I think he's my very favorite guy to yeah. talk to. And and uh, as a contrast to Ennis Cantor, he was benched, right? I mean, Trey Burke was just straight out benched. Uh-huh. If Ennis Cantor was in the starting lineup and just not getting 35 minutes a game the way he wanted, he was getting 30 minutes. Trey Burke has had his minutes significantly reduced. He's been benched for you know the new younger Dante Exum, and he hasn't complained a word. Not you know, he's been such a pro about it. Just the contrast between those two guys is so stark. So you're rooting for him. It's just that you know when you're watching the game on the floor, uh, he doesn't fit at all. And then you look at the stats, and it may even be worse. Yeah, for now it's it, it hasn't been happening. But at the same time, we like silver linings over here, and one of them at the moment is that the Jazz are having this success recently, despite what has been happening with Trey's game. They are a plus, nearly plus three points per 100 while he's on the floor. Now, you have to look at that through the lens of they're, plus tw- they're over a plus 12 when he's off the floor. Okay, Maybe so They're doing a lot better without right. him. But the fact that they are still outscoring teams overall, even with him playing this bad, I think says a lot about the rest of the guys that are playing around him. <laughs> Was that supposed to be nice about Trey Burke? Uh, more about the rest of the guys. Okay, so the I rest think. of the team is really good. I mean, we agree on that. They're the eleven of they've won eleven out of their last thirteen. I just don't think that that says a lot of great things about Trey Burke. Yeah, and and it, you know <laughs> it is unfortunate. And you're right. There are there we've seen point guards blossom really late, but I think most of them had at least one or two things that we could latch onto earlier in their careers and say, okay, he's definitely really good at this. And if he just fixes X and Y, he could be, you know, then he could really exploit this one or two skills that he has. 
and I'm just not sure you see those with Trey. He, he Last year it was kind of that he didn't turn the ball over much, but now we're starting to see that that's just because he's not willing to make any <laughs> incisive plays. Right. And it's somewhat worrisome. I uh, mean, he led the team in shots last night. Yeah, which is... Yeah. Playing only 20 minutes a game. Yeah. In the I, game. I, I do think, you, you know... It, it does suck. I hate. I, it, it really sucks. <laughs> yeah, because it he's does. a great, he's a great a guy, and you want to see him succeed. Yeah, I mean, Trey is absolutely my favorite interview. is is awesome to ask questions of, even though as I've started to attack him more and more because you know the evidence, um, he has started to shake his head at me. But <laughs> yeah. I, I I I feel bad for the guy. I just I just don't know that he fits within this like new super lanky thing that the Jazz have going on. Yeah, I think next year is, I think at this point he's firmly your backup point guard because of how well the starters have worked with Exum uh, and how well Exum has started to look recently. I think next year is going to be kind of almost a, like a last shot for Trey. Not a last shot, but it's going to be a really decisive time for Trey where he's going to have to prove that he can even be in that role as the backup and do it well for a playoff contending type team or else at that point the writing might be on the wall a little bit let me ask you a question uh, just off the cuff here you you reported yesterday that Dante Exum and Ronnie Hood are playing in summer league this mm-hmm. summer right for the Correct. Jazz would you have Trey Burke play in summer league this year Boy, I mean, you could think about it. It, I, I, I don't know that it might not be a little demeaning to a third-year player to have him play in the summer league because that's really, really rare, isn't it's it? Not that rare. I guess it's not that rare. Um, maybe May- you could, but couldn't that couldn't that almost backfire too if Exum wildly outplays him or something like that? Which is, I think, at this point, entirely possible. Yeah, I mean, Trey Burke has yet to have a good summer league, and yeah. it is two shots at it, and you know, you you'd like that to change. But I, I honestly look at it from a different. Uh, perspective and say, look, if you're bringing Dante Exum in, you want him to see what he can do during summer league. You want him to do the behind the back dribbles and see what he and, you know, really have the ball in his hand as much as possible to try to get to the rim. Just kind of use that as as the Dante Exum training zone. Yeah. A- and if you have Trey Burke in there, he's going to do the Trey Burke thing of have the ball in his hands and shoot all the time. Yeah, and <laughs> don't, let's not forget that there's another guy coming back next year with a very similar last name. And we just had a we just had a Twitter comment, by the way, from Reddit Jazz asking where we see Alec fitting in next year. Could he be a, a Jamal Crawford-like role off the bench? Yes. Which is in, looking increasingly possible. And this is coming from me, who's his biggest fan in the world and has said he's more than a sixth man. But with the with how great this lineup is working with Rodney Hood and things like that, you could absolutely see Alec as a ball. All dominant type yeah, six man. That's exactly the perfect role for him because you want he's not scoring without the ball in his hands, right? Rodney Hood can score without having to use to have the ball in his hands except to catch and shoot, right? Yeah. Alec Burks is not that guy. Mm-hmm. Alec Burks is is I mean, I've seen I don't know. I've always thought of him as the prototypical th- six man. And sure, you're paying him a lot of money, but that doesn't mean that it's what's best for the team. Yeah, and if you if you are looking at playing him in that role, it becomes tougher and tougher to figure out where Trey fits because it's it's going to be real legitimately difficult to have both those guys as ball dominant as they appear to be at this point playing in the same sort of second unit where it's it's tough to have two of those guys in one of the in the same backcourt of the same second unit. They might have a talent advantage over their opponents frequently. But it's. I think it would be tough. Now that's for down the road to see how Alec fits back in once he gets once he comes back from his injury. Of course. Yeah, I mean, I think the Burke and Burks backcourt can work and and actually has worked um, offensively at least. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, as as to attack bench lineups, I I have no problem with that. That's, I, that's I like possible. it a lot. And there was a, there is another question from James Hansen. Couldn't you just replace Trey with Alec? I don't know if it's that simple. 
necessarily. And especially so have be- Alec be your backup point guard? Yeah, which I'm not big on that. I'm yeah. definitely not big on We tried that once. Didn't work so well. We, no, it, it, he passes even less than Trey does. Yeah. That's your problem. Yeah, I, I don't know that I'd do that. I, I think if you are looking at, at Trey as being a sunk cost eventually, then you have to look for a replacement backup point, not someone who's on the roster right now. Unless, which is fine. Unless Bryce Cotton ends up being good enough to be it, but I'm, I question whether yeah, he can, just because he's it, the stature. He's a great player, but he's just a little too small. Yeah, um, right. yeah, I'm skeptical of that as well. Yeah. So that's the thing is in summer league, the Jazz could have uh, Dante Exum, Bryce Cotton. They could have Raul Neto if they want to bring him yep. over. Uh, they could have someone in the draft, you know, maybe if they take DeLon Wright or someone like that. I mean, there's there's going to be a lot of opportunities at the guard spot. I mean, obviously Rodney Hood as well. Yeah. Um, I, I don't think I would bring Trey because of that. Yeah, I let's, agree. Let's move on to our third topic really quick. And, and we're making it quick because we think there's a very small chance of it. Yeah. But the Jazz do have a chance to make the playoffs. Very a small. 0.5% chance, per John according Hollinger's to John Hollinger on yeah. ESPN.com. Um, and he uses a Monte Carlo simulation, basically simulates the rest of the season a thousand times. And in 50 of those a thousand or 10,000 times, excuse me, the Jazz make the playoffs and then the other ones they don't. Yeah. So there's six, ga- six games back right now in the loss column of both New Orleans and Oklahoma City. Now, New Orleans is playing tonight against Milwaukee. So any Jazz fans that do have this pipe dream, you want to be rooting for the Bucks over there. Yep. Um, here's the encouraging factors that some have pointed out. Now, these are very thin, but they do exist. The Jazz's two toughest games in the next couple of weeks on paper are Oklahoma City and Golden State, both of whom will have significant players injured when the Jazz play them. The Jazz play Golden State this upcoming Saturday. Clay Thompson's going to be out with an ankle injury. The Jazz play Oklahoma City the following Saturday. At least Serge Ibaka is going to be out. Maybe Kevin Durant. We don't know what his status is at this point. Even if he's back, he's going to be it's going to be one of his first games back most likely. So the Thunder are banged up as well, and. If OKC's next five games are, I'll read them quick, Boston, Atlanta, Miami, Lakers, and Spurs. They're definitely going to beat the Lakers, obviously. But if they could lose three of those other four, which... Isn't a, I guess isn't a huge stretch missing two of their big three, right? Like Westbrook's going to really have to put them on his back there. If they could lose three of those five, and if <laughs> the Jazz could go, you can hear I'm smiling as I say this, if the Jazz could go 6-0 and during that same period, which... Isn't impossible. Washington at home tomorrow night is beatable. And then they've got Portland in there, and then they've got that Golden State game on Saturday. If you think they can win all those games, they'll be favored in the other three. None of that is impossible. All of this is very improbable, but none of it's impossible. Then they So would... you're telling me there's a chance. So you're saying there's a chance. Exactly. Yeah! <laughs> exactly. Uh, by that point, then when they played Oklahoma City a week from this upcoming Saturday, they would only be three back of Oklahoma City. And <laughs> New Orleans' next five is kind of tough, too, actually. It's this Milwaukee game, then at Phoenix, at Golden State, at Clippers, and home for Houston. They could lose four of those games. That's not impossible. Yeah, I understand where people are coming from, but just do understand, guys, massive, massive long shot. Yeah, it, it, like, but that we're talking about this for a six and nine. The team that was six and nineteen earlier this season was seventeen and thirty-three just one month ago. Yeah. Like, it is actually pretty crazy yeah, that this is awesome. even possible. It's really great, and I'd like, I'd love to see it happen. It'd be yeah, fun to have a playoff, playoff games right at the end uh. of the year. Like, that'd be awesome. And by the way, and I'm going to ask Alex this later when he comes on. 
of the three, if you count the Jazz as a you know a pseudo contender for the eight spot along with New Orleans and Oklahoma City, I think there's a legitimate chance Golden State would want to see the Jazz the least out of those teams hmm. because you Golden State. Or, I think Oklahoma City Oklahoma continues City's, to exist. They, they do, but because of how banged up they are. I mean, you yeah, know, you but, realize Durant's injury was three weeks ago. It was a week, right? And then it was two weeks, and then it was three weeks. Durant, and, but uh, he would play in a playoff situation. I think. Uh, Hey. Foot foot injuries are can be very unfriendly things to big people, and he's a big person. I, he's I'm also a saying, light person. He is. That's true. I'm I'm just saying, and I'm I'm. I'm I think Golden State's in. significantly more afraid of Oklahoma City than they are the Utah Jazz. I guess probably. Which consider sucks. how much better their backcourt is than well. Than then the Jazz Golden State, why don't you go ahead and let us win on Saturday? <laughs> that help out. That our seems cost, reasonable. Right? All right. Well, we'll we'll talk a Golden State about that on Saturday. Uh, later on in the show Bob, again. I am. Yeah. Yes. Later on in the show, we've got Alex Kennedy, Spencer Hall joining us. That's coming up uh, after this segment, coming up next on the Salt City Hoop Show on ESPN 700. Analytics and opinions on the jazz and the rest of the NBA. This is Salt City Hoops on ESPN 700. All right, welcome back into the Salt City Hoop Show. I'm Andy Larson, Ben Dowsett over here, talking the Utah Jazz and the NBA as always. And there was, there was some news in jazz world yesterday that I want to break down. First, I just want to get to some tweets that uh, we've gotten. So first, from that Doolin kid, actually two facts from him are, are the two tweets I want to read. Uh, the Jazz's starting lineup by length is actually ranked, Gordon Hayward has the least length in terms of wingspan, huh. then Rodney Hood, then Dante Exum. So their length is actually backwards for their positions. Huh. And it all actually evens out so that they have standing reaches of identical eight foot seven wow that's a long long that's backward a, that's a, so that's the average standing reach that's all of them have eight foot eight foot seven inch standing reaches huh. wow because you know hayward's taller but he's right. short arms okay i got you and then so it's the that plus the other the the other two being gobert who has the longest what is that like the second longest who has a nine wing. seven standing yeah, reach yeah which is you know one of the record longest setting, recorded yes. in history. So yeah, they're doing all right. In and then Derek the Favors, who is yeah, no, no, I don't know, T Rex himself. Yeah, and the and the 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 league length is in vogue in the league. Excuse my tongue. Yeah, it is right there. It really is, and that's that's just really exciting going forward. And they're all under twenty five. <laughs> they're all under twenty four. I think actually, if I'm not mistaken, uh, Hayward is twenty four. Oh, twenty. Hayward's twenty. So okay. you can't say yeah, but so he's not under. They're all twenty four and under. under. Yeah. Nice. That's amazing. So the the big piece of jazz news that we uh, kind of referenced coming into the segment is that Greg Miller is stepping down as the CEO of the Larry H. Miller Group of Companies. Um, in his place, they're basically putting in a quote-unquote outside board of directors, which was the line uh, in the um, press release, which is worrying as a jazz fan, right? When you see the words outside board of directors for this you know, nebulous group that's going to control your team your franchise where they're doing how much money they're spending what you know even where they'll be you get a little bit nervous yeah now so let's break down just a couple of the real simple facts for those that have that and to even clear it up for me because th this whole corporate thing confuses the crap out of me to be totally honest <laughs> okay so the there is there a realistic chance here that the team moves there's no realistic chance of that correct i mean no not not right away and not, quite frankly no period um but why is it important to know so gail miller is still the owner of exactly. this company so that's that's the biggest thing is that she is still kind of in control she could you know remove someone from the board of directors if she so chose it would it's still gail's show that being said gail miller is not a spring chicken she's yeah. you know 
I, I don't want to say anything bad, but, you know, that's that's just the truth of the scenario. Yeah. And that's why they've put this into place is so that the company can last beyond just the the lives of Larry and Gail Miller. Yeah. Um, but that being said, this board of directors is yet to be determined. You know, we don't know if Greg and, and Steve Miller will be on it. We don't know who else will be on it, and, and we don't know. And that board of directors would have control over the jazz as as a franchise. So you know that is a little bit concerning. Now, for the time being, everything is is same as usual, business as usual. Okay. So you've still got Greg Miller on the NBA's board of governors. He's going to remain in that spot as the Miller family's uh, representation on for the Utah Jazz. Okay. Um, the Jazz's front office are still reporting to the same people, namely Greg Miller. Um, again, representing the Miller family running the Jazz. So for right now, nothing changes. Okay. Uh, I... I I don't think anything will change because for a board of directors, even, you know, we don't know who these people will be, but it wouldn't make any sense for them to move the jazz as because the jazz, quite frankly, are like Larry H. Miller's fifth most big company yeah. out of that whole thing. And, and they made they're money like, last year. Correct? Yeah. And they're making money. So, but you know, maybe you could make more money in Seattle would be the, the counter argument to that. Maybe. Um, but know, it also represents it also is has the biggest public profile of any of the Larry H. Miller companies. Right. So like if the, if the Millers lo- moved the jazz, no one would ever buy a car from a Larry H. Miller dealership yeah. ever again. Right. Like neither you nor I know anyone who's ever enjoyed a jazz game is going to go to Larry Miller. They're going to go to whoever. There'd be a lot of bitterness there. No there would be so much bitterness. Yeah. I would be incredibly bitter. Oh, well, God, it would, be, <laughs> it would be really bad. But yeah, so that's I mean, that's good. Now, I think the areas that it is maybe a little more reasonable to at least consider as potential future worries is what if the new group comes in and is less flexible about being willing to spend up to the to the luxury tax, for example. Yeah, and I mean, I could see that, but because you're right, they could just straight up make more money that way. But I would be surprised because the Jazz are going to be incredibly profitable after this new TV deal comes in. And especially once they start making the playoffs and playing home playoff games. Yeah, I mean, they're just, they're going to be making so much money. I mean, last year they were already the eighth most profitable team in the entire league. And they were terrible. Just on the, on, yeah. yeah, and they were terrible. They weren't great at attendance. You know, it's not like they're getting the big corporate sponsorships that big market teams are, but they still made a ton of money because, do you know why? The revenue sharing. Revenue sharing, revenue sharing helps the Jazz so much because they are in a TV market that has less than a million households. Mm-hmm. And for those those four or five markets that do, they get a bigger percentage of the revenue sharing funds, and this is a really boring radio conversation. Yeah. The point of it is the the Jazz are, are profitable. There's no reason for a, a new board of directors, I think, to to reduce spending on the team. Yeah, and you have to assume also that with Gail still in charge, and we know Gail cares about the team, that she's not going to want to bring in any people who would want to sort of limit the the team's capabilities as far as putting the best product on the floor. Right. Like I don't think she's going to have Michael Jordan on the board of directors let's say she's she's going to be vetting these people to make the right sort of decisions for the good of the company it's it's not like i don't know an evil board of director would come in and and destroy the jazz from within i think that that scenario is pretty unlikely hopefully we have no worries here hopefully this is just as it's being reported and which i think is by far the most likely scenario that this is what a company this size does when they need to make sure they have leadership in place for the future now as far as greg himself and steve as well I have heard some people speculating, and I, I'm just saying I've heard people speculating. I'm not doing this because I have no <laughs> I have no clue whatsoever. But I've heard some people speculating that it may 
have been more than a quote unquote step down, that it may have been actually more of a dismissal in some sense, and that there was there were maybe some things going on behind the scenes that weren't optimal with Greg. Yeah. Again, that's complete speculation by other people and not myself. I think that's, but I think that's smart reading between the lines a little bit. Like a a change in this sort of company doesn't happen if everything is 100% right. Right. And and I think basically what they decided as, as an ownership group and as a leadership group, they were like, you know, Basically, one man, Greg Miller here, has too much power, has has too much unilateral responsibility uh-huh. over these, uh, you know, twenty, however many different companies there are, and and so the interests of the company will be better served by a, a panel of of decision makers, again, a board of directors that would actually be making the decisions there and have checks and balances on on making those important decisions for the for the good of the company not not the jazz parts of it specifically but things like the Miller Motorsports Park which yeah. has been a financial problem for the Larry yeah. H Miller group of companies and it's important to remember that also that that which we've touched on a couple times here is that the jazz are far from the only business interest of this company and this is not this is a move within the company, not just within the jazz. It will have it will affect the jazz in some ways, hopefully just small ways that don't really affect the encore product. But this is a move for Larry H. Miller Group as a whole, not just right. not just the Utah Jazz. Right, and and for the very short term, for you know, and until this board of directors is named, and until. Honestly, until Gale is gone, I, I think everything stays the same. Mm-hmm. It's just after that, then you worry about what's the the line of succession in terms of ownership. What do the Miller kids want to do? What will this board of directors want to do? That could raise some questions. I don't know, ten, fifteen years down the road, and maybe the Jazz will have eight titles by then, or nine, or yeah, something <laughs> like that. Not one, not two, not one, not two, not three. <laughs> okay, six. Yeah. Seven titles? Well, something like that would be fine. I like it. Yeah, so in the end, I, I think it's a fairly, you hope at least, that it's just a, mostly a, a fairly standard move for a large corporation that wants to ensure that its leadership situation is solid going forward, especially with a, a matriarch who isn't young, which is, right. I think it's fair to say that. And and yeah, hopefully that's just, as you said, business as usual, and that the exciting product that we're currently seeing from the Jazz on the floor is not really affected in any way. I don't think it will be. In fact, maybe they'll hit all of their threes now. All of them. <laughs> like they did last night. I mean, oh, that after this news happens, bu- that stupid three at the buzzer, though. By the I know by Charlotte, we were both ruined upset all the about records. That. Yeah, the Jazz were. By the way, for those who weren't following us on Twitter last night, the Jazz were right about to set the league the mark this season for lowest amount of points allowed in a game at 63 and then what's his name hits a buzzer beat essentially like a garbage time buzzer beating three to get them up to 66 which was one point more than the lowest for the Brown. so far yeah. you know when you're up by 40 you have to make up different goals in order yeah. to set and that was one of them and the jazz didn't hit it oh well the jazz still won by 28 last night which is incredible yeah. um on the other side of the break we're gonna have spencer hall the founder of salt city hoops join us on on the show just to talk about the enthusiasm surrounding the jazz the team itself this miller situation all of that so that's coming up next you're listening to salt city hoops on espn 700 you're listening to salt city hoops on utah's number one sports talk espn 700 all right welcome back into the salt city hoops show on espn 700 uh we ha- we have the man himself the founder of salt city hoops the reason why we're all here uh is is joining us spencer hall thanks for joining us man hey thanks for having me guys it feels good yeah and you're you're even in studio too which is great yeah no this is beautiful it's a it's a fun with this Ty Corbin cut out. Yeah, no, that's nice. Yeah, it's it's a nice touch because you know that way he's always looking over our shoulder, knowing what we're saying about him. It, it, it's been great. Yeah, no, it's uh, it, it's fun to be here. You know, I was listening to you guys on the way in, and 
you know, I, you guys are making me proud with everything you do. It's fun to, it's fun to see what you've done, Andy, with the site and, uh, you're doing awesome work on the radio and it's, it's been fun to follow what you're doing. Well, cool. And, and the reason we have you on is because you are, you are the jazz enthusiasm <laughs> expert. <laughs> you, you, no one is more excited when the jazz play well. No one is happier. And the Jazz are incredible, right? Like, did yeah. you see this coming at all? The well, Jazz 11 I will out say, of their last 13? I, well, I will say, I didn't mean to talk over you, but I, if you'll recall, when we were previewing the season, I was asked for one uh, prediction for the season, and my prediction was that Rudy Gobert would take the starting position from Ennis Cantor. And I, I knew in my heart, but I didn't dare to say it, <laughs> that he would become the star of the league and would carry the team. <laughs> no, nobody could have seen that coming, but... Is so much fun, and I think finally I've been saying for years that I wanted a guy to come in with a little bit of personality. This city, this state loves the jazz, and for so long we haven't had a guy kind of giving that love back. I mean, there were Earl Watson, some of these guys who really embraced the community. They just didn't have the star power to really go supernova. But finally, um, the thing that I'm loving about Rudy Gobert is that not only is he you know, his, his trajectory is just ridiculous. But the fact that he, he's fun on Twitter, he's really smart. He, he just seems to get it and it's making it so jazz, the, you know, the jazz are relevant again. People are tuning into the game. People are coming out, not last night. They're not coming out, but <laughs> in general, but in general, they're, they're, they're at least interested. The game again. before that was a sellout. Let's give them that. Yeah. Yeah. And, and regarding the Rudy headstrong thing, you actually, he actually retweeted the yeah. tweet of yours earlier yeah, today. And then it got deleted afterwards. Mm. It was basically, so I responded to a friend of mine, uh, saying something about how Gobert, I don't remember the exact tweet, but I responded saying, yes, he's very headstrong, and I meant it in the best possible way, because he is, and you want that edge in your players. And I happened to check my Twitter about 20 minutes later, and Rudy himself, even though he he was not added, like we hadn't used no, his... Lie, check it 20 minutes later, you checked it two minutes okay, later. Something like that, okay. yeah. He, he But he wasn't added, like Rudy was not, we weren't using his official handle, but he must have found his, <laughs> must have searched his name or something like that, and he retweeted it, and then an hour after that, it was not on there anymore. So who knows? Yeah, he gets it. Rudy finally, I mean, somebody gets it. And, um, you know, the team finally has that thing. Last night was a perfect example because Al Jefferson was back in town. And I was a fan. I, I really liked him as a person. I really enjoyed getting to know him. And I even came around on his game. By the, by the time he left, I enjoyed a good Al Jefferson game. But it just didn't, you, you, you know, it was... It was almost a hipster thing. You had to be, <laughs> you had to really get it. You know, you had to be, yeah, you were contrarian you, you had to almost. Be, yeah, you had to be like a fan of the 80s post-up style, right? Like yeah. That had to be you. And, and if it wasn't, everyone loves blocks and steals and, and whatever else all the time. And good on Al, by the way, when he was here last night. He talked to everybody. He walked around oh, he's and the was best. talking to every usher and every door Al's person. Al's the best. And, yeah. He's absolutely the best. And I want to, you know, I, I really you know, loved watching him as I got to know him because he was so much fun and we'll always be tied because I broke the Al Jefferson bed story. So <laughs> oh, that was you? I, mean, yeah. I didn't even know that. Yeah. I mean, that's, you know, that's a, it's a great that, breaking story. On my resume. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. No. And I, I, I totally agree with you just as far as, and I think Gobert almost serves as a microcosm for it is that I think, and I think he's almost sort of leading the charge of the group to, coming around to the same thing that you're saying of a, of a group that wants to, that is both succeeding on the court and wants to give back the love that they're getting from yeah. the fans to a certain point. Yeah. And there was a quote last night in the post game where, and I, I tweeted it earlier where uh, Quinn Snyder talked about 
how the the salute from Rudy is his swagger, but he also has a humility that he brings to the game, mm-hmm. which makes him hungry. And I thought that was a really good way to describe the team right now. They're hungry. They want more. They were up 30, and Gordon Hayward was talking about, hey, we were in the huddle saying, let's get it to 40, let's get it to 50. That was Andy's question, actually. Right, and, and it wasn't that he was trying to show them up or anything. No. It was just that that's the way that they want to play basketball. I, I thought it was really interesting, and David Locke noted this in his Empty in the Noggin after the game, that uh, – even when the Jazz had made 11 threes in a row, they still ran the offense exactly the same. Mm. You know, they weren't trying to get open threes or mm. just try to jack things because they they knew that they could take those shots. They weren't heat checking themselves. They weren't heat checking. Yeah. No, they they continue to play exactly the same way, and that that's really really impressive for a team that doesn't have anyone who's played more than four years in this league. Yeah, not only in the last few years, not only were they not you know the heat checking, the thing that was happening in the last couple of years was what what, I, what do I call it when you heat check by the, the one guy is sort of feels like he's hot, but another guy does the heat check. Yeah. <laughs> I can't remember what I call that. It would have been more fun if I could tell the story in my own term, and I can't think of the name. <laughs> Disappointing. I mean, you're, you're not a nickname expert, then. No, no. What do you think of this Miller thing? You know, I've been trying to sort it out, and I wish I had kind of that inside scoop. And I've I've talked to people who are as close to inside as you can get, but they aren't Millers. Their last name doesn't <laughs> end in Miller. So I... All I can say is it was a natural thing. I think this is no more surprising than it than it is what it is, and I, I hate to use that term. But I will say, if I were Greg Miller, I would absolutely be already on a Land Rover going across Africa. Right, you, you have know, enough money. Yeah, he has enough money. He also, I think he has the... Um, he, he can feel good about the turn he had as as the executive, as the chief executive of the company. I mean, he had his dad's legacy, and then he'd, he'd been with the company, and then he, he had a chance to come in. Really, as, as was noted in the press release, the worst economic downturn, you know, since the Great Depression. He comes in, he runs it for six years, does some good things, and then why not? I mean, get out, spend time with your family, do what you want to do, live your life the way you want to do it, go to, you know, Australia with your people and your family and drive all the way across. I know he's a, he's also a, a private guy, and I don't think he was ever really comfortable being in the, the limelight. Mm-hmm. I mean, there was a reason he stepped away from Twitter. I don't think he was ever comfortable in that uh, in that role. And so, whatever whatever was going on in the family, I know there were there are family dynamics that any family has to deal with, and especially a family that has the added component of a multi generational involvement in the family company. Um, and then, you know, once you start getting into third generation of a, of a family with, with that kind of money and, and access and power and opportunities, you have a lot of things to deal with. So I think even just running the family affairs, as, as was noted again in the press release, is going to be is almost a full-time job. <laughs> and so uh, you guys were mentioning on the segment earlier, they, they'll still be involved. Um, Randy Rigby mentioned that he's still going to be their boss. I thought that was an interesting yeah. thing that he said. I don't know if that's exactly quite true. And I wonder, yeah, and, and what job title that is. You know, as, as, Does that mean he's senior president of the Utah Jazz above Randy Rigby? Yeah, I, mean, I, I, mean, I just kind of wonder how that shakes yeah, out. Yeah, I don't know. He'll still be on the board of governors, so he'll, he'll right. apparently have some kind of affiliation. So it, from my perspective, I don't think anyone can jump to the conclusion that the Jazz are being prepared to sell. Um, all the conversations I've had, um, you and I know you guys said this on the air earlier that they have an economic uh, interest in that, and if they were to sell it, I think the backlash against their companies would be 
just too big to, to deal with. Yeah, you'd, you'd go to Cinemark theaters, you'd, you'd yeah. buy your cars from... Really, I mean, they've created $10. ways, and this was this was speaks to the legacy of Larry Miller. He created theaters, he created, you know, the, the car dealerships, the places you go to play, the parks. And he's really created a lot of the ways that Utahns uh, have fun and get out and do things. And imagine if every one of those businesses had an angry jazz fan. <laughs> you know, it wouldn't... It, they, they, I don't think they would do that. I think... We've got a brilliant thing right now with the cross promotion between the dealerships and the and the team. I don't think there's any reason, as you noted, it's just going to get even more valuable as soon as this new deal clicks kicks in. So I don't think the team does that. I do think they wanted some different um, management and oversight and wanted to be able to get get some get some new blood in there. That's all we need to think about this. I, there's no reason to start thinking that the team is being sold or is being moved or yeah. that the that, that there's going to be um, ownership that doesn't care about the team. And who knows, with what we didn't even discuss on the back end was what if it turns out that this is way better? What if it turns out that this It'd is It'd be hard is, to be way better. It would be. No, that is. That's, uh, that's actually I mean, true. when I when I talk to the Jazz front office, I hear over and over again how spectacular the owners, the Miller owners are to work with. And, you know, far and above every other ownership situation that they've dealt with in the league. And Dennis Lindsay has had some pretty good ownership situations, and so has you know, yeah. the rest of the people in the front office. So I, I think that that says volumes about how good they've been. Quick, since we don't have a lot of time, but what do you make of this Jazz playoff run? I, I'm in. <laughs> I'm actually in. I think it's possible. And imagine if they picked up that win in Boston right. and that win That's against the Lakers. It could have been crazy. Yeah. But anyway, I'm in. I want the playoffs. Yeah, I mean, they have a chance to go 16 and 0 to finish the season, <laughs> go 46 and 36, and and do some special things. Amazing. Yeah, New Orleans is beating Milwaukee right now with about eight minutes uh, left, bummer. which is unfortunate. So, no, doesn't help us out. Well, anyway, Spencer Hall, thank you so Thanks, much guys. for joining us. I uh, really appreciate it for everything you did for building Salt City Hoops. We're coming up next segment with Alex Kennedy from Basketball Insiders. He'll join us next on the Salt City Hoop Show on ESPN 700. Talking hoops and the association, this is Salt City Hoops on ESPN 700. To the Salt City Hoop Show, my name is Andy Larson. Ben Dowsett on the other side of the table. We've got Alex Kennedy on the line <laughs> joining us. Uh, he's the editor and writer for Basketball Insiders, works with Ben to create some great content over there. So, Alex, how are you doing? Hey, how's it going? Good. It's great to have you on the show. Yeah, thanks for having me. I appreciate it. I first want to get off, start off by asking you just what your initial impressions are about this Utah Jazz team. I mean, from a national perspective, how big of an impact are they making in, in the league's conversations right now? Yeah, they're making a huge impact. I think entering the year, everyone kind of saw them as one of the top up-and-coming teams in the NBA because they had young talent at basically every position. But with the way they've been playing lately, I think they've really come on faster than anyone anticipated. You know, they've really developed a lot and made huge strides this year. Uh, their defense has been exceptional. Uh, that's a huge thing. I think Rudy Gobert is really impressing a lot of people. So I, I think right now they're getting a ton of national love. You know, obviously they have a great win streak going right now. They're beating some quality teams when you look at their recent wins. Even throughout this entire season, really, they started the year beating some impressive teams, too. So uh, I think they're playing, you know, quality basketball right now, and they're definitely getting more attention. Anytime you put together a win streak like this uh, and you have young players making huge strides like the way they do, they're going to get some respect. Uh, so it does seem like the uh, national conversation about the Jazz is changing a bit. 
changing in the fact that some people are actually noticing they exist, which is pretty fun. No, <laughs> I, I, I kid, of course. But and you mentioned Gobert in there. Is he, for, for, as someone who's not local and who m- reads more headlines and things like that, is he the really the one that's kind of, you assume he is generally because of what he is, but who's really chewing up sort of the, the, the spotlight and the headlines as far as the Jazz go? Yeah, I think so. I think a lot of people look at him entering the starting lineup and playing more minutes as being the main reason for the turnaround, uh, especially when you look at their defense lately. I mean, they're just so much better when he's on the floor. And I think some people that watched them earlier in the season saw that, that, you know, good things were happening when he's on the floor. And now with him playing more minutes and posting, you know, crazy numbers, I do think a lot of people are, are looking at him as the reason they're turning things around. Uh, and, you know, you can make the case for him being one of the best defensive players in the NBA. I think we're seeing that now, too, where he's starting to see his name in some of these award races, too. So I think that helps a lot as well. Uh, but it's not just him. You know, they have a great young core there. They really do. You know, like I said earlier, they have, uh, you know, young talent in every position. There's not many teams that can say that. So I think that, uh, you know, people look at them as a team that maybe over the next few years could make some noise, but they're uh, doing that this year. Yeah, absolutely. And there's, you know, we were discussing before, they're not totally eliminated from the playoff picture yet, even if it's very, very unlikely at this point. Now, you mentioned that Gobert might be in the conversation for some awards, which kind of goes right up the alley of stuff both you and I have written recently over at Basketball Insiders. I wrote a Defensive Player of the Year piece where I ranked him fifth, and you wrote a piece on Most Improved Player where you ranked him third, or ostensibly ranked. You didn't actually have number rankings in there, but you listed him third last, so I'm guessing that you essentially ranked him third there. My question was going to be, I think it's totally realistic that he could be at least in the conversation for both those plus even the sixth man award. This is something Zach Lowe was noting on Twitter recently is that Rudy will be eligible for the sixth man award by the end of the year because even assuming he starts all the rest of the Jazz's 17 games, he'll still have come off the bench in more games than he started, which is the only minimum threshold requirement for making for stick the sixth man award. Which, yeah. which of those three do you think he has the best realistic chance at winning and could he like somehow make the top five in all three of those awards? Would that I mean, is that even remotely possible? Yeah, it is possible. I mean, I, I think the one thing you have to say is that with all these awards kind of up in the air right now, this is a crazy award season where it's not really obvious who's going to win every award. Um, I think most improved player probably goes to Jimmy Butler just because he's had a great season. He's always been injured lately. Uh, you know, his numbers and becoming an all-star was a huge story. So I think he probably gets that award. But it's very possible you know, we see Hassan Whiteside and Gobert next. I think those are kind of the next guys. Draymond Green's made a huge improvement as well. I think Defensive Player of the Year is probably his best shot in terms of what award he can win. Um, you know, just because they have had such a huge improvement since he's become a starter, and you look at the numbers, they're basically first in every defensive category lately. I mean, since the All-Star break, they've been phenomenal. And Gobert's really the biggest change there. You know, yeah, I think Quinn Snyder's doing a great job, and some of the other players have stepped up too, but... You know, you look at Gobert and what he's doing, and he just dominates down low. You know, he's a great interior presence. And I think people are starting to realize just how good he is. You know, people that maybe didn't pay attention earlier in the year are watching him and seeing, you know, what an impact he makes. So I think Defensive Player of the Year is possible. I think he can climb up those rankings. I think six man will be a little bit tough. It seems like usually guards win those awards. You know, it wouldn't surprise me if we saw that go to someone like Isaiah Thomas or Lou Williams or Jamal Crawford, who have posted, you know, big scoring numbers off the bench. It typically goes to one of those kind of guys. Uh, but you're right. I mean, if another campaign gets put together and people realize, hey, he's eligible, he could win it, uh, it's possible that he gets it as well. But I, I do think it's possible that he'll be in the mix for all those awards. I think Defensive Player of the Year is probably you know, his best bet in terms of winning one, uh, just because I think Jimmy Butler and one of those guards will probably take the other two awards. But, uh, I mean, his season has been phenomenal at this point. So he deserves credit and deserves you know, recognition in all those categories. 
We've got Alex Kennedy from Basketball Insiders joining us on the show. You can follow him at Alex Kennedy NBA. Alex, you referenced earlier that the Jazz are the number one defense in the league since the All Star break. How how real do you think that is? I mean, obviously that's a small stretch of games, but do you think that this could be the league's best defense even as soon as next season? Yeah, I think it's possible. I think when you consider the fact that a lot of these guys are so young too, you know, they should make improvements over the next few years. You know, that's one of the great things about having a young core and relying on so many young players. They should see growth and, and improve every year. So I do think it's possible. You know, I, I think once you have Gobert in there full time for an entire season, once he has, you know, the opportunity to go into a season as a starter, that's huge for a player. They can, you know, approach the season as a starter and, you know, do different things during the offseason, know what they're, what's expected of them. I think that's big. I think his confidence is just so high right now, too. You know, right now everyone's talking about him as a great defender, as one of the best big men in the league, one of the best upcoming big men. So I think that's huge for him. And I think if they keep this team together, which it certainly seems like they will, uh, they should get better. And they play some good teams, too. I think that's the big thing. You know, if they were playing a bunch of bad teams and putting up these numbers, I would say that, yeah, you know, maybe it is a fluke. Let's see. Let, let's wait until we see some more games. But they've beaten some really good teams uh, and played pretty well defensively. So I do think it's possible. I think Snyder's a good coach. He makes really good adjustments. Uh, and then with the core they have staying together, I think it's possible. This could be one of the top defensive teams next year. I think that the point that you make that's most important there and is one that I've been trying to reference frequently is that each player among this current starting unit, and in fact, every besides maybe like Elijah Millsap or Joe Ingles, every relevant rotation player for the Jazz projects to be better next year than they are this year. Maybe you could yeah, maybe say that Hayward has come close to plateauing, I suppose, but I really do think he has a little bit more potentially in the tank, and he is only 24. That's something that a lot. I think a lot of people aren't necessarily considering here is that they've been this good recently, and they've actually been the number one defense since January 22nd, which is when they moved Dante Exum into the starting lineup, and his defense has been really remarkable. When you consider that you expect a cup a leap from at least one or two of these guys next year, given that they're all under the age of 25, I think we could absolutely be looking at one of the best defenses. Now, so we were talking earlier about the Jazz's uh, quote-unquote playoff hopes, which I think are, I think hope is is a very important word to include there. They're you know 0.5 percent right now in the in the Hollinger model to make the playoffs. And putting aside for a second how realistic or unrealistic it is, because we know it's probably the latter by quite a bit. Let's say that you're the Golden State Warriors right now, and you're you're Steve Kerr, for example. You're the coach, and. Let's say the Jazz are actually in that conversation. Like they they close the gap a little more in the next few games and they're within like three games or something like that. And let's also make the assumption that Oklahoma City is still a little bit banged up. That's, that either Ibaka isn't back yet or Durant either isn't back or full strength or maybe both those things. If you're Golden State, is there a chance that of those three teams, Utah, New Orleans, Oklahoma City, that Utah is the one you want to see the least at that point because of how well they're playing right now? Yeah, it's possible. You know, I think once you get hot toward the end of the season, uh, it becomes really easy to have that translate over to the postseason. So it is possible, uh, especially if those teams are banged up. You know, both of these teams, Oklahoma City and New Orleans, have just had a ton of injuries. Uh, you know, obviously, OKC is now out with our, now doesn't have Ibaka. Uh, they don't have Durant right now. Uh, and then you look at New Orleans, and they've lost, you know, Drew Holiday. They've lost Ryan Anderson for a while. Anthony Davis was out. So both of these teams have really, you know, been beat up lately. Um, and then, like you said, the Jazz are playing so well. They're a tough defensive team. I think having Exum out there and Gobert out there, it could be a tough matchup, honestly. Uh, so I, I think it's possible. 
Um, but then again, you know, if both of those, if all those teams are healthy, I think they probably want to avoid the Thunder and Pelicans, just because I think when those teams are at full strength, they have more veteran contributors and they're much scarier. You know, talking about the Thunder with you know Westbrook, Durant, Ibaka, and it's possible they could have those guys back by the time the first round of the series or first round of the playoffs starts. I think that's a really scary team. They're much better than that eighth seed. You know, they've really been at full strength for much of the year, so I think they're better than the eighth seed. And then New Orleans, when they're at full strength, they're very scary too. But if all those teams, those two teams, are beat up then Utah does become a kind of scary matchup, and maybe they would be pulling for you know a banged-up Oklahoma City or New Orleans team that isn't at full strength. Let me ask you this, Alex. Uh, if What do you see the Jazz doing this offseason? I mean, what do you see as their greatest need going forward to, to try to make that big leap to be a, a contending team, or at least a playoff contending team next, off se- or next season? Excuse me. Well, like you guys said, you know, this is a very young team. So I think, honestly, uh, bringing some veterans could help. You know, the oldest guy on our team right now is 27 years old. Um, you know, I think, uh, obviously, you're going to want this young core in place and give them the bulk of the minutes. But I think it's always easier for young players to grow and make that next step or take that next step uh, when there's some veterans around them. You know, last year's team had a few more veterans. But if they can go out and add, you know, a veteran backup center, some guys that could be support players off the bench, I think that'd be huge. Um, I think that would also help them you know, in the short term as well. Not only would it help those guys learn and develop, but uh, if they did want to try to make that jump and fight for the HP next year, they can kind of do what Phoenix did and try to add some veteran players, and whether through free agency or a trade, so they'd have some veterans around that young core. I think that could be good. That there have been discussions, and I, I may be putting you on the spot a little bit here, but there have been talks that they may try to bring Ante Tomic over from Barcelona, who a lot of people regard as one of, if not the best centers that's not playing in the NBA currently. Now, I've given my thoughts that I'm not 100% sure how well he'd fit with the Jazz's system. He can't shoot much outside of, you know, 10 feet or so. He's very, very good in the post and a very, very good passer, but he can't shoot all that well. Defensively, He's uh, it's hard to necessarily say how that translates over. Do you think, would that guy type of a guy qualify almost as a, I don't even know if those guys qualify as veterans, right? Because he's a veteran professionally, but he's not a veteran of the NBA, of course, because he's never played there before. I, I have mixed thoughts on Tomic. I'm, I, like I said, I might be putting him on the spot. You might not know much about him, but what would your thoughts potentially be on something like that? Well, actually, you know, it's funny. David Pick, he's our international writer. He's been talking about him a lot in his chat. He answered a lot of questions about him, and he said he's not surprised at all to see the Jazz talking about bringing him over, that it is a possibility. And he would know way more than I do about that kind of stuff. He has tons of connections overseas, and uh, knows all the players and agents and all that. So he thinks it's a possibility. So I'm, you know, I, I tend to agree with him on those kind of things. Uh, like you said, I don't think he'd be a veteran in terms of uh, NBA experience, obviously. So he's not going to help the young guys develop in terms of adjusting to the NBA and that kind of thing. But could he help them get more talented? Could he help that front court? Uh, certainly. I, I think that's a possibility. So I think that's an interesting uh, scenario to watch over the offseason. There's a possibility, I think. Uh, judging from what these reports are saying and from what David Pick is saying, it, it seems like it could happen. Definitely. Yeah, David is a, a very good follow for guys that – isn't his tw- – I think his Twitter is at IMDPick. Is that right? Is that, did I get that yep. right? Yeah, that's yes, his, it is. Definitely go follow him if you're interested in international basketball. He's he's very good for that sort of thing. All right, last question, Alex. Uh, before we let before we let you go, you know we know you got another radio appearance to make tonight. Actually, um, you mentioned Quinn Snyder a little bit earlier, and 
Now, we know that he he's definitely somebody that it's probably going to take a little more time before he gets any sort of national buzz, especially in his first year. And the Jazz are still very unlikely to make the playoffs, as we've said. But what have your impressions been? It's hard to honestly have a negative impression, but do, do you think that this is the Jazz made the right hire? And specifically, I, I've asked Andy in recent weeks that there's a lot of people around Utah that were disappointed that the Jazz didn't get Jeff Hornacek the year he was available to be a head coach. Do you think that things may have actually worked out a little better for the Jazz in that they were able to grab a guy who, we can't say he's a better coach than Hornacek right now, but certainly at least has the possibility to be? Yeah, I think he's definitely comparable. You can put him on the same level. You know, I think last year everyone was kind of looking at Hornacek as the best hire. You know, I'm based out of Orlando, and Magic fans were devastated that they missed on him and got Jock Vaughn instead. So I can relate to that. Uh, but I think he's a great coach. I think that Snyder's doing an excellent job. Uh, you know, clearly he's good at developing guys and, you know, helping guys take that next step. And that's been huge for the Jazz. And I think also he's just a great basketball mind. You know, you talk to people around the NBA and they say that he's excellent in game adjustments and he has a great basketball mind, great basketball IQ. And I think that's really important. You know, I was kind of surprised, honestly, that he didn't get an NBA job sooner because he had been talked about for a long time as a top assistant and one of the top coaches that wasn't a head coach. So I, I was surprised it didn't, you know, happen sooner for him. But uh, he's been excellent this year. I think he's definitely lived up to the hype. Uh, and he seems like, you know, an excellent coach. And I think, you know, we talked about that jazz team growing. I think he'll continue to grow, too. I think people, you know, don't realize how hard it is to be a first-year coach. So he should continue to get better as well. Makes a lot of sense. All right, well, Alex, thank you so much for joining us. We really appreciate it. We can follow you at Alex Kennedy MBA, or, of course, all of your work is on basketballinsiders.com. Thanks again, Alex. Thanks a lot, guys. Take care. Appreciate that, Alex, and definitely go give him a follow. Not that he exactly needs any more. The guy's got <laughs> six-figure followers, which is insane. But no, Alex is Alex is really great. He's got his ear to the ground so well in terms of everything around. He's one of those guys that, and it's remarkable how. Yeah, I think he's the same age as you, if I'm not mistaken. I think you might even be a year younger than you. I don't. He's. I think he's 23. Uh, okay. Which like. To have the connections that he has around the league at that age is just remarkable to me. I mean, that's amazing. I'm I'm three years old. I'm nowhere close. Like I'm not <laughs> even remotely close. But he's I've really enjoyed working with with Alex since I've come over to Basketball Insiders. He's really accessible. He's 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 good at at kind of kind of gauging things from an overall perspective, kind of like we just saw a very balanced perspective, which of course is is among my favorite things. I really like a, a balanced perspective, balanced viewpoint. Yeah, and and he's been doing it for a long time as well. I yeah. want to get in a question. We we, we want to talk about the playoff race right now. Um, but before we do that, I want to ask this question from again that Doolin kid listening on uh, ESPN 700, listening to the show, asking to win a title, an All NBA player is needed. Even even the 2003 Detroit Pistons had one, and they're kind of held up as the the great example of a starless team that won the NBA title. He means 2004, but it's the, but same thing. Yeah. Okay. Oh three, oh four. How about that? There you go. Uh, who on the Jazz will become an All NBA player? I think that there are three fairly obvious candidates, and I think we've asked this sort of this kind of question before, like who's the next Jazz All Star, right? We've kind of asked that question. Yeah. I, your answer was Hayward, if I'm not. But correct. even I mean, I mean, I think Hayward can be an All Star. I'm not sure he can be an All NBA guy. That's true. All NBA is tougher. It's it's obviously a lot. It's more difficult. Well, uh, first and right, second. Are, yeah. No, but even then, there are only 15 All NBA spots, first, second, and third team, and yeah. there are you know 24 All Star yeah. spots. Yeah, absolutely. Plus I some mean, injuries. Honestly, is it that crazy to say that Gobert might have the best chance to be the next guy there because of how the center position is generally viewed in the I, league? I don't think so. I mean, you it, you look at like Joakim Noah won it last year. Uh, Al Jefferson was an all was the All NBA third center, I believe, last season. Mm-hmm. Uh, 
Roy Hibbert's been in that spot before. I, I mean, Rudy Gobert, if he does what he's done over the last 13 games for the course of the entire next season, he absolutely fits as one of those guys who you know is is one of the third three best centers in the league. Yeah, and I think you see. Especially because a lot of the other best bigs in the league, especially the ones you think of offensively, like your Anthony Davis, LaMarcus Aldridge, Dirk Nowitzki, even all those guys are classified technically as as not as centers, as as fours. And when you think about that and you've got so you've got Marcus Saul, who's likely to be a mainstay at the center position for at least a year or two. Hibbert's always in the mix. You've got Dwight. Uh, You've got Dwight, who's who knows about Dwight. He's been really unhealthy the last few years and he appears to have peaked a few years ago. I'm not Mm -hmm. sure. I mean, if I could take one guy for the next three years, I'd take Rudy like real fast right now, I think. Over Dwight. Yeah, over Dwight and given Dwight's age and his injury history and things like that. Um, I I totally think it's possible given the scarcity of actual centers that make it. There's a lot of bigs that are really good, but like I say, most of them are classified, at least the ones that are great offensively and that jump off the page in that manner are classified as power forwards. I think it's totally possible that Rudy is the one that has the best chance of making that. Yeah, and actually, I I was thinking about this the other day. There are actually some real comparisons between this team and the 03-04 Pistons team, where you look at Ben Wallace as as one of the best defensive players of all time and really doesn't get the love that he deserves. He he changed that team so much. You look at like the plus-minus numbers. You look at any defensive metric. He was stellar. Rita Gobert could be that. You know, again, in in a perfect world, that's that's what happens. And then you look at the talent around it, and you know, it wasn't exceptional perimeter talent but it was talent that worked together as a team played defense and and won games that way from Tayshaun Prince to Rip Hamilton to Chauncey Billups I mean you could see all those guys on the Jazz kind of becoming that level of players for for the Utah Jazz in a couple years down the road absolutely and I think realistically if we're talking about ceilings at least which is I think part of this conversation Exum might have a higher ceiling by himself than any of those guys did yeah. as an individual. Now, who knows if he's going to hit it? It's unlikely that he maybe hits the very tip top of that ceiling. But if he comes anywhere close, the 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 athletic ridiculousness that he is isn't really something that that Pistons team had. And if he becomes an actual, you know, a potential perennial all-star at the point guard position or something like that plus everything else that you just mentioned kind of sticks around, maybe it could be him. I don't know. I I would think that Gobert would have a chance well before then because for that to happen right. for Exum is going to take three, four years minimum. Yeah, and there are so many things that have to happen in Exum's game as, as a, again, oh, yeah. a sub-10 PER player yeah. to be yeah. that level of player. Rudy Gobert is putting up the numbers right now to mm-hmm. be in that spot. He just hasn't done it for a long enough time yet. Yeah, and you know if his game can just take another couple little things offensive. I mean, he's already done so much offensively this year. The improvement with the free throws, the improvement with his passing. The, the game last night, by the way, was completely ridiculous. The the, <laughs> the He was whipping passes around the court off the roll. I think he only finished with two assists, but the guy has a real court awareness and a real smarts to him that's going on. And you mentioned the, the thing with the tweet before. I, I just love it, and I hope, Rudy, if you're listening, that you understand that that tweet of mine was meant... positively that I love the fact that you are headstrong and that you are uh, the, the winners have that edge, and you're that, you're afraid he took it the wrong way. You're afraid he, he thinks you're a jerk. I hope not. I but I do know that you know. I think that the pl- the great players like that. We, we you hear the million stories about how after a while 
Jordan had to figure out ways to motivate himself, right? Because he was so much better than everybody that he just, like, even winning an NBA title was hardly enough motivation anymore. He had to create false slights in his head that right. people had made to him. I think Rudy might be not necessarily, one, and again, not in a bad way at all, but one of these guys who he's had so much success so quickly this year that he's he's got to try and keep himself motivated and he's got to have in the back of his head oh they're you know they're saying this about me they're saying this about me and I want I'm going to prove them wrong I think it's great I think it's awesome to have a guy that's that's got a bit of that edge but who also I think it's clear from the people we've talked to that he's not se- he's not He's he's selfish about it in that he wants to succeed himself, but he understands that his success is tied directly to the teams. You know what I mean? He's right. not he's not the sort that just doesn't understand that there's a connection there. And I think that's kind of the biggest piece of it is that he knows his success will be amplified if the team has success as well. Yeah, that's definitely the case. No one no one thinks of defensive centers on bad teams. You know, yeah. you have to be kind of the the head guy of a of a good team in order to get the the attention. I think Rudy Gobert wants. Mm-hmm. Just a quick update on the NBA playoff race, which I think I, I said we were talking about this segment. I think we'll get to it next segment. But the Pelicans did indeed win their game, mm. 85-84 over the Milwaukee Bucks. Ursan uh, Ilyasova missed a buzzer-beating three-point shot at the end that would have won it for the Bucks, on, but no such luck. Apparently Don't stop was, Ilyasova. Apparently, it was wide open too. Don't stop Ilyasova. <laughs> um, anyway, let's go ahead. Let's go ahead and take a break. On the other side, we're going to talk about the rest of this playoff picture that doesn't involve the Jazz, the top eight seeds, or nine or ten. Let's put it that way. In both the Eastern and Western conferences, that's coming up next on the Salt City Hoop Show on ESPN 700. Analytics and opinions on the Jazz and the rest of the NBA. This is Salt City Hoops on ESPN 700. Let's talk. How about that? Andy Larson here, managing editor of Salt City Hoops. Gotta Welcome back the into on. the Salt City Hoops show. It's amazing how well that works when you when you turn the mics off. Suddenly it doesn't work. Ben Dowsett on the other side. As always, you can tweet us at Andy B. Larson or at Ben underscore Dowsett. But we're going to do the Around the NBA segment. So... Let's let's get into it. Um, the playoff standings right now are actually really interesting and maybe made even more interesting by the results of tonight's game. We teased at the beginning of the at the end of the last segment, excuse me, that uh, the Pelicans just won a, a buzzer beater uh, game against the Milwaukee Bucks. But then the Knicks just beat the Spurs, believe it or not, in New York in overtime. Uh, that moves the Spurs down to the seventh seed in the yeah. West. And then Rockets won tonight as well. Uh, and then the Grizzlies lost to the Pistons. So that actually puts them within one and a half games of the third and fourth spot. So we're seeing actually a lot of movement here in the Western Conference standings even tonight. It's kind of crazy how bunched up these teams are. Like Memphis could legitimately still have a bad run to the rest of the year and finish seventh. Mm-hmm. They've been second for like the vast majority of the year. They, it's not out of the question that they could finish like sixth, fifth, sixth, or seventh. Um, if the playoffs started today, we would have Oklahoma City would actually miss. They they're now directly tied in, in record with New Orleans, thirty seven and thirty apiece. And but New Orleans has the tiebreaker. New Orleans holds the tiebreaker, and that isn't changing, which is which is a big deal. That does mean that that Oklahoma City has to finish one game better than them, right. otherwise that they're not going to make it. So of course, unless the Jazz pass both of them, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So we would see that. We would see Memphis, San Antonio, which I think Memphis right now would legitimately tank to get out of that seat <laughs> if they thought they were having to play San Antonio in the That's first round. That's just a hard matchup for them. Yeah. Um, there's that, and then we would get we would get Portland and the Clippers right yep. now, and then we would get Houston and Dallas. 
So Houston he, and Dallas would be fun, a little in-state kind of rivalry, although I don't know how great of a series it would be. Yeah, I, I think Houston would probably win that. I think you'd have to favor Houston in that series, uh, depending, of course, on what happens with Dwight. He's the, I think he's kind of the wild card here that we're not talking about as much, because if he right. could come back and actually be something like Dwight, maybe they could be, even be a sleeper to win the Western Conference. But if he comes back, there's also the possibility that he comes back and kind of clogs things up for what's been going well for them already, like takes minutes away from Monte Yunus, who's been awesome, um, and things like that. And maybe kind of. But he'll take minutes from Joe, Joey Dorsey and too. Josh Smith, too. Like, you know, too. That, yeah. That's probably going to be the, for the best, no matter how Dwight Howard's playing. Yeah. I'm interested in that potential Portland Clippers series. I, I think that could be a really interesting lineup. I mean, I, I know that Wes Matthews is injured and out for the season, but. Those are two really interesting teams, very two disparate styles of play. Clippers will have Blake Griffin back, so you know maybe they, they'll play a little bit better than they have over the last 15 games or so. But still, I, I think that's an interesting matchup that Portland could win. I think uh, that'd be a really fun one. And, I mean, out of those, if they ended that way right now, I think the only prohibitive favorite in any of those series would be Golden State over New Orleans. And if you assume potentially that Oklahoma City both gets healthy and passes New Orleans and gets into that eighth spot, at that point, I don't know that you have a single prohibitive favorite in the first round of the <laughs> West. Because if if Oklahoma City actually has all three guys back, which I think is unlikely, because they're saying four to six weeks on surge, and the playoffs start in about three four and a half, about four yeah. weeks. So I think that's unlikely. But if they were able to have that, plus Durant comes back and is Durant, that, I mean, I don't think you can make Golden State a big favorite over there. I think they would be a favorite, but not a large favorite. No, yeah, that would be an incredible first-round playoff series man, between those the, two teams. We thought the first round was awesome last year. It's setting up to potentially be even more awesome this year. Yeah, because, I mean, last year the series kind of turned out well. You know, yeah. Remember, like, Atlanta-Indiana, that wasn't a series that we thought would turn out well, but the Hawks played well above their level, mm-hmm. and, and no part in thanks— or, a little bit, at least, and thanks to the coaching of Quinn Snyder. Mm-hmm. Uh, but then this year, the, the at least the Western Conference playoffs, every single matchup is going to be great just because all of these teams are so good. The, the teams that haven't had played that well thus far have been just beset by injuries. That's the only reason that they haven't won even more games than they already have. Yeah, and speaking of Atlanta-Indiana, if it were to be right now, that isn't the series we were, we would get, but we would actually be one game away from seeing that. Indiana's tied with the exact same record as Miami, but Indiana holds the tiebreaker there, meaning they're currently 7th. And tied East. with Boston as well at the yeah, ninth spot. tied with Boston, and we're going to mention them here in a second, actually, because they've been a remarkable story, but uh, if the playoffs happen right now in the West, in the East, excuse me, we would have Atlanta versus Miami, we would have Cleveland versus Indiana, which again, we talked about it last week, I think could be really fun if Paul George comes back, although that was thrown into the question with some by some comments he made this week right um then we would have toronto milwaukee and we would have chicago washington the final two of those series would definitely compete for most nba tv games uh <laughs> in the in the playoffs right there but toronto milwaukee yeah i think toronto milwaukee would probably end up being the one that's on nba tv of that see group. but i i mean maybe i'm just a basketball junkie but i like that series a lot because of milwaukee's like super goofy uber length and and the greek freak and all that yeah. and then you look at toronto which is a fun team too with with kyle lowry and demar derozan and you know maybe they can put together and again this is maybe me being a geek but those are I, I think that's an interesting playoff series. Chicago, Washington, ditto. I mean, you kind of got a old versus young kind of thing going a little bit with them. Um, well, not really. Not really. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's hard with without Derrick Rose. Chicago's hurt, but then 
you know, you look at like Jimmy Butler. I, I think those teams are very different stylistically, though. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, Thibodeau's defense and then Randy Whitman's whatever Randy Whitman does. Which um, that's a pretty good way of describing it because it's hard to <laughs> quite understand what he's doing some of the time. But uh, no matter what, I'm going to be really sad when this Jazz season ends, assuming they don't make a miraculous run to the playoffs. But I will be bolstered by the fact that these are these, this postseason is, is set to be really incredible. It's set to be a lot of fun. That's a good way to look at it. We've had some really amazing performances in the NBA over the last week and just a couple that we we want to mention uh Kyrie Irving had 57 points against the Spurs last week lord uh that's you know that's absurd in itself that he scored over 50 points twice in a game this season Mm -hmm. uh but then he was eight for eight on shots with a defender within one foot which is stupid like completely you should you know if someone is literally within one foot of you you should not be able to make said shot 100 percent of the time yeah, it, like, that was completely I, ridiculous. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I can't even imagine being that good. And then, you know, just his ball handling and everything was was just insane to watch. Like, that's was not a quiet 57. Let's no, put it that and way. At the end of the game, they started putting Kawhi Leonard on him for right. bits. And he was just running right by him like he was like he was standing still. Kawhi, who had shut LeBron down for the majority of the rest of that game. And I, I wanted to ask you, did you watch that game in its entirety eventually? It, I didn't, no. I actually just watched the fourth quarter in overtime. Yeah, I was able to watch that game in its entirety. It was later that night because I believe my uh, brother's band was in town playing a show that night. Well, that's important. It was important, actually. It was a really (laughs) awesome show over at Urban Lounge. But uh, the, the... I watched the game from the start when I got back home. That was one of the best regular season games I've ever watched. That it was playoff atmosphere from the start. You can tell when LeBron's in kind of that that like he's really gotten up for a game. Yeah, he definitely mode. has a switch. He has a bounce. He has a just kind of more, and he really goes. Him and Kawhi were going at each other in that first half. They were taking turns with possessions at one point, both guarding each other. I was even listening to Chuck, and I wasn't even that bothered by the fact that it was that Chuck was the one doing color on the game. It was that was legitimately one of the best regular season games I've seen and when Kyrie's playing like that you have to assume Cleveland could be a team that could make the finals then Anthony Davis uh, had another tremendous performance this one is actually in a loss but he put up 36 points 14 rebounds seven assists and nine blocks nine blocks that is many blocks like I just I just can't even imagine. Rudy yeah. Gobert gets a lot of blocks, and that's significantly more than Rudy Gobert has ever gotten. Yeah, and one thing I was saying to somebody, yes, to a friend of mine yesterday was, do the first couple of years of Anthony Davis's career not look eerily similar to you as the first couple of years of LeBron's career? This transcendent individual player. I think he's been better than the couple of first years. Possibly even better than LeBron's, but, it, but as far as he's been incredible and the team kind of lucked into getting him with that first pick, but then since then, the team has basically screwed up every single thing they've tried to do in terms of putting guys around them. They've tried to make a contender too quickly. They've mm. tried to kind of rush the process of putting the right pieces around him. And as a result, we've got a guy who can put up that stat line that you just named, and they can lose to a non-playoff team, which is uh, – who was it they lost to? It was it was somebody who's not in the playoffs. I don't remember. It was uh, – like Orla- it wasn't Orlando, but it was somebody like that who's – not going to make the playoffs, and they lost to them while he still put up that stat line, you have to hope they do a little bit of a better job in the next couple years. Otherwise, you might be starting to hear all these same type of KD rumors we're hearing right now. You might hear those about Anthony Davis. Yeah, no, I I think that's fair. And and you wonder, I I think this is the year that the Pelicans, if they don't make the playoffs, make a both coaching and management change. And I'm not the only one around the NBA who thinks that. No, not by a long shot. Monty Williams is at times kind of embarrassing as a coach, sometimes. It's weird because he does run good sets he does and then 
it's it doesn't like work out in the end it's like i think he runs really good plays but then they're not set up to make his players to put his players in the best spots for them if that yeah. makes sense yeah no that actually that's actually a really apt way of describing it i think uh real briefly i wanted to mention the celtics as well and mainly just to mention brad stevens i think that if either the jazz or the celtics make the playoffs their coaches should be at least considered alongside Budenholzer and Kerr for coach of the year. I think one of those two is of Budenholzer and Kerr is going to win. Yeah, but I think that the job Stevens has done over there, and also the job Quinn Snyder has done here, absolutely incredible for that Boston team. You look up and down that roster and the t- the players they've traded this year, and even without that, just the players on that roster for them to be com- even in the East to be competing for a playoff spot is completely ridiculous. They're just a collection of assets that other teams wanted to get rid of, exactly. so that you know the Celtics could get their draft picks, and somehow they've become a good team over the last three weeks. Yeah. It, it is insane. Um, really quick, let's move on. Actually, talking about another trade, the Ennis Cantor trade. Oklahoma City has been playing, you know, kind of questionably, and again, they don't have Kevin Durant, but just defensively, they've been 24th in D rating since the Cantor trade. They were 10th before it. Remember, the Jazz were 27th before that trade. They're, they've been first in the league since then. So it may be that, like, Ennis Cantor is not a very good defender. Maybe. I think you might be able to say that with a little bit of conviction now. I mean, the basically the Thunder have been defending only slightly better than the league's worst defensive teams while Cantor's been on the floor, but they've been the equivalent of like a top five defense when he's sat. So, and that's <laughs> why he's played until these last couple games, that's him playing 95% of his minutes alongside Serge Ibaka, so, who is a great defender. Again, this is this is the Ennis Cantor we know, and it's it's cool because stats work. Yeah, and it's, you know, I think there's no other way around it there. He's he's just a really bad defensive player. He's done, what, he's done, done good things for them on the glass. He's done good things mm-hmm. for them as a scorer offensively, but when you get into the playoffs, and I saw Zach Lowe tweeting about this the other day, or maybe it was today, actually. When you get into the playoffs and you're running two, three, sometimes even four guys on the court who are minus defenders in the playoffs, especially if you're playing Golden State, that's going to be a problem. Like, they're going to yeah. exploit that. It's not going to be good. Teams go at Cantor constantly in the pick and roll. Could be a bit of a problem for him. We referenced this earlier, but just talking about Oklahoma City, Serge Ibaka when, uh, underwent surgery on his knee today. He's out four to six weeks. That obviously hurts their chances in, of the play, making the playoffs, first of all, and then in the playoffs should that injury extend into that first round. I want to, though, because it's our favorite segment, go into LOL Lakers. Yes, sir. Can we play the music, please? I hate him. I hate Not that one. Not that one. Yeah! <laughs> wrong button. There's not even that much for the Lakers this week, but no. we do still want to do it. So we're in the standings, as of right now, as we were saying last week, at this point it looks pretty certain that they'll end up right in that fourth worst slot where they would have a 17% chance of losing their pick. Can I give all of our readers a great site to go to? Yes. Tankathon.com. All right. The, the primary benefit of Tankathon.com is instead of your normal standings, which frustratingly are best to worst, they flip <laughs> the standings so that they are worst to best. Okay. And so the, Lakers the Lakers look fourth. pretty good. Yeah. They are indeed fourth in those standings. It also kind of shows their, their chances of getting the number one overall pick and the number the chances that they get a top three pick, etc. Shows how they've holds. been winning and losing, but uh, tankathon.com, check it out. Yeah, I wonder who holds the tiebreaker of them in Philadelphia. Philadelphia is only two wins behind. Well, they them would right flip now. a coin at the yeah, bottom, oh, that's right? right? Remember? Of course, yeah. So they uh, they did almost beat both the Warriors and Hawks in consecutive games. Although the Hawks rested some guys, and 
of course, they did lose both games. They didn't win either of them, so there's that. And in a little piece of good news for Lakers fans, actually, uh, Julius Randle has been cleared to begin rehabbing his injury that he uh, underwent earlier this year, and he may actually travel with the team on their more their next road trip. Uh, he, I would consider it basically impossible that he plays any, uh, this year. No, in fact, they've ruled yeah. it out. But it's good to see he's a, he's a great he's a he's a good kid who was doing really good things for them before he left, showing some real flashes of some star potential. We'll see. Uh, hopefully, he comes back full strength. Though in the preseason, right? He got yeah. injured in game number one. Yeah, yeah. So hopefully, good best wishes to him. Yeah, but only him. Not only as him. not as a franchise. Yeah. I will be going down to Los Angeles on Thursday to cover the Jazz at Lakers, uh, so that'll be that'll be fun. Uh, my first trip to Staples Center, so we'll see how that goes. Uh, nice. Watching the Jazz under the bright lights with all of the stars that could not afford tickets when they were a better team. And you got media credentials worked out. You're yes. gonna be on the road. Yep. Nice media nice. credentials to both that and Golden State uh, Saturday. That Golden State game is gonna be a good time. Yep. Uh, I had one more around the NBA real quick before we go to break, and this was Charles Oakley, a former player. Hey, look, another former player saying something negative about the current game. I'm shocked. He said the game is quote unquote hard to watch, and said quote unquote the players have no heart. Now, okay. If you want to say that first part about the game being hard to watch because you prefer the stylistic tones of how it was played when you played, fine. I don't agree, but that's fine that you think that. But if you want to legitimately actually say that players in the league currently have no heart, I think you need to watch a few more games there, guy. Like, have you watched Russell Westbrook play recently? Are you trying to tell me that that person has no heart when he's playing the game of basketball? He's throwing his body at every angle into human beings, willing his team to victories. Like, how can you say that's no heart? I, Gosh, I'm really sick of former players that got to disparage the game. Wayne Gretzky has come out a million times and said... Hockey players are better now than they were when I played, and only somebody who's naive would not realize that. I don't know. My two cents. I was actually skipping that and went straight to LOL Lakers just because we apparently need to do commercial breaks in the show. Ah. But I knew that the Ben rant would be great, so I I (laughs) appreciate that. That is, I'm with you and 100. percent But yeah, I, I, yeah, I, I thought that. You're right. The, Charles Oakley has all the reason in the world to say that his basketball in his day was more, you know, manly because that says more about Charles Oakley than yeah. if it's the other way around. Yeah. But let's go ahead and do take those necessary commercial breaks. On the other side, we're going to be talking about the Jazz's upcoming schedule and a special shout out to a member of the Jazz Media. That's coming up next on the Salt City Hoop Show on ESPN 700. You're listening to Salt City Hoops on Utah's number one sports talk, ESPN 700. All right, welcome into the Salt City Hoops show. This is our last segment of the show. Um, Andy Larson, managing editor of Salt City Hoops, Ben Dowsett of Salt City Hoops. By the way, awesome article today on Salt City Hoops uh, uh, on Dante Exum and Ronnie Hood's development. Check it out if you haven't already. It was is really well done on how these rookies have grown even just during the season. Well, thank you. I, I appreciate the kind words there. And yeah, I, I, I'm I glad I got to write about it because it, it really is kind of remarkable. Hood especially in this last couple of weeks, how... All of a sudden, he looks like a legitimate offensive player in the NBA, and as we were talking about earlier, is is doing enough and perhaps even more than enough on the defensive end to to keep playing in the starting lineup, even as the Jazz are blowing away these this other NBA competition. It's it's really good to see, and the main part of it, I think, is that they have in a, in effect are creating a self fulfilling prophecy where they are closing the Jazz's need to add more young talent because they that. 
the talent they added this past year is working out as well as it is. And I think they've part in in part, of course, there are other players involved in this, but they've allowed the Jazz to to begin looking at cashing things in and making the real run next year, which is just great for the fans and for everybody. Yeah, no, I, I completely agree. And that's that's super exciting as as a jazz fan and of course as a jazz media member we, we're rooting for the team to do well i also want to say that just in in terms of salt city hoops announcements uh that the show will probably air next thursday next week uh unless the youths were to make it to the sweet 16 play on thursday and you know bump the show but yeah that's unlikely let's be real i'm sorry you fan i, I mean that. <laughs> John, John doesn't like that one, but I hope they. I hope they make it too. I'm a graduate, but yeah. Yeah, I mean, uh, but you know, obviously Stephen F. Austin is a tough matchup, and then uh, would they be favored against Georgetown? Okay, probably they would be. But don't tell Tony Jones that. That's true. We should not. But Tony or Jones. No, Tony Jones. Yeah. No, Tony Jones is, is a Georgetown guy. He is Georgetown, that's right. Speaking of which, I'm sharing a rental car with Tony Jones nice. on Thursday in L.A. That'll be an interesting experience. Looking forward to it. Yeah, that I wish I could do that. That'd, <laughs> that'd, that'd be really fun. Those conversations will be great. But l- I want to also say something about uh, another jazz beat writer and one featured on this uh, on this station, ESPN 700. Jody Genesee announced that he's taking a approximately month-long leave of absence to deal with um, some personal issues, some personal health issues, which I, I just want to say how, first of all, brave it is to do something like that for yourself during the middle of a season, and then to make it public in a column, and, and just doing the right thing for himself and his family is really cool to see, and, and we just wish him the best of luck. 100%, you know, be- best wishes to you, Jody, and get well for yourself. You know, Jody was one of the, when I sort of came on the local scene a year and a half ago type of thing, was one of the first, like, quote-unquote mainstream guys to, like, follow me and to, to recognize me and things like that, and he's, you couldn't possibly ask for a nicer person and for a kinder person, and yeah, um, all of our best wishes to him, and we, uh, we know you're going you're gonna to come back stronger than ever, hopefully for the Jazz's playoff run. Yeah, I mean, seriously, him in the locker room covering the jazz and and being with him makes covering the jazz significantly more fun you know yeah. he's just a great presence to be around great guy again can't say enough about how how much we wish him well over this next month and and can't wait to see him back 100% yep good luck buddy all right so jazz schedule quick analysis of that the next 3 games are all 8:30 games which is either fun or terrible depending Ooh. on i guess which time zone you live in yeah um first of all tomorrow's game is a home game but it is at 8.30, not at 7 p.m. It was on ESPN. That's why the late tip, but then they moved that off in, in favor of Warriors-Hawks tomorrow, which, you know, you kind of get that from a scheduling point of view. Yeah, oh, totally. So, you, do you wish they would have moved the game back to 7 o'clock, especially the, the beat writers wish they would have done that button. Yeah, but, I mean, that being said, you understand with 8.30 being printed on the tickets, it's much yeah. easier to move a game forward than it is back. If, you know, if someone shows up at 8.30, which is the time printed on their ticket, and they've missed two and a half quarters of basketball, they're going to be rather upset. Yeah, that's very true. So I guess you can understand it. So yeah, they've got that, and then they've got the two over on the West Coast that you will be present for that are uh, going to be late games as well. So I hope uh, everybody's willing to stay up a little bit late to watch the Jazz get their next three wins. Yeah, let's let's talk about this. This Washington team has been a little bit interesting over the, the last uh, slate of games. I mean, they, they've been a little bit sketchy. They've won the last four, so I... I Maybe you're speaking a little bit too soon, but then they were 
two and four over the previous four before that. And if I'm not mistaken, they've played some kind of weak teams over the last four games they've as well. Been, they've been really schizophrenic this year. They've been kind of up and down. Sometimes they look like world beaters. Uh, when they have had their main three guys together, that being Beal and Wall and Paul Pierce, they've been solid when they've had all three of those guys in the lineup, which I believe they're all healthy right now for tomorrow night, if I'm not mistaken. And so it should be a good challenge. I'm, in, I'm really interested to see... Uh, we were wondering about how many players there are in the league that can beat Dante Exum in a 40-yard dash right now, and uh, we named John Wall as one of the ones that almost certainly could. Mm-hmm. Right now, John Wall is incredibly fast, especially with the ball. Interested to see how that works out. Dante's been playing really well defensively recently, but this is a, a different kind of challenge for him, someone who can actually match his length and speed. So well, I'm, I'm interested to see how that shakes out. Then the Jazz have their first mm-hmm. back-to-back in almost a month uh, against the Lakers in L.A., I think it's interesting. I, I mean, I, I think this team will win this game because they want to take revenge for that loss that they had two weeks ago. Yeah, and plus, I, I really think the Jazz still think they can make the playoffs and that that's what they're trying <laughs> to do right now. Yeah, yeah I mean, I, I think that's fair to say. That being said, then they have maybe the toughest schedule in the league Um on Saturday when they take on the Golden State Warriors. Yeah, that one's going to be tough. It's the third game in four nights. At least it's not a back-to-back, which is good. And as we mentioned earlier, Golden State is missing clay. I th- I think there's a chance. I mean, the Jazz beat Golden State, the la- although it was here, the last right. time they played. I-, I think it's a potentially decent matchup. If they can keep Curry from going completely nuts, I they would have a chance to win. They won't be favored, of course. No. But, yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, and then Monday against the Timberwolves, that's a 14-52 and 52 team. That should be a win. I don't know yep. how much we need to talk about that. No, we don't. And and then Portland again, uh, again will be coming, looking to come into Utah with trying to take revenge on on their big loss last time that really started this Jazz run. Yeah, and I mean, I'm interested to see. I mean, we're gonna see Gobert on Aldridge almost constantly. He's, as I was saying, I think he's the best one-on-one defender for a guy like Lamarcus Aldridge in the league because of his mobility and his ability to block shots. I'm interested to see that. So five games. What do you think here? Three and two, four and one. I like three and two. Okay, I'm, I'm, I'll go. I'll go with you. All right. Well, that's another Salt City Hoop show. Thanks so much for listening. You can find us on saltcityhoops.com as well as this podcast on Stitcher, iTunes, and on ESPN700sports.com. Thanks so much for listening. This has been the Salt City Hoop show on ESPN700.